It is an honor to be here with you this morning. Glenda mentioned, you know, my role typically here is not in this position, but in the finance office, so it's fun to be in a different type of environment. Um, but it is an honor to be with you and to share from God's Word this morning. As was mentioned, we are in a series studying the book of First John. Um, it's easy to track along if you're just kind of hopping in because there's five chapters in that book, and we're studying it for five weeks, so it's easy. This week is uh, week two, so we're studying chapter two uh, this morning. Pastor John Mark, if you were here last week, Pastor John Mark did uh, such a good job uh, last week introducing this book in the context to us, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to watch it online if you can, or you can listen to our podcast and you can join in that way. If you missed last week, don't worry, we'll give you the short notes today so you're not left behind. Um, we discussed the book in its context. You know, it's a letter written to a community of believers approximately 40 years after the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. The letter itself is, it's not so much a letter, but it's more a pastoral sermon that addresses issues of that community 2,000 years ago, but also universal issues for us today as believers of Christ. The author of this letter is believed to be John, surprisingly. He's also supposed to be the, uh, the author of the Gospel of John and also the book of, of Revelation. And John, as a person, is characteristically concerned about the Gospel message, its integrity, the mission that Jesus gave us, and, um, and, and just bringing others on this path of discipleship. So that's the context, that's who the author is. And last week, we also started into the substance of the book with, with chapter one. Pastor John Mark, again, led us through that. And we looked at the primary theme of contrast between light and darkness. That's the theme that we studied. And that theme will be so important for our discussion today as well. Last week, we talked about darkness in this world as sin and humanity's struggle with sin. But today, we're going to be even expanding on what that definition is. We, we'll look at how the author John addresses the active experience of struggling with darkness in this world, both inside and outside of ourselves. We know that Christ is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's, it's powerful, life-changing truth. We, we sing about it this morning. We know it to be true. This doesn't mean that, you know, Christ is the light of the world and he's seen and everything else remains shrouded in darkness, but it means that he's the light source and everything we see that corresponds to reality is because of his light. It's through Christ's light that we accurately perceive the world. Like this room, there are lights on and we don't need to guess what's around us. We can actually see it with our eyes. It's the same with Christ's light and truth for us. And so this is where the teaching this week collides with the teaching from last week. In week two, we encounter another set of contrasting subjects. Uh, just like we studied light and darkness, this week we'll be studying truth and falsehood. Chapter two brings us uh, more into the narrative of why the book was written. And so we'll be looking at that today uh, through this theme of truth and falsehood. And the story that comes through the text we'll return to in a moment um, as, we, as we look back at the first century church. But for those of you who are in the education stage of your life, maybe elementary or high school, or, or you know, many of you are probably past that uh, this morning, um, do you remember when you would study a, a unit in school, and then at the end of the unit, you have all that learning that you do and you have to do, 
like a test. Do you remember that? And sometimes they'd really be really stressful events. Maybe, maybe not for some, but for me they were. And on that test, I know in anticipation I'd be studying and I'd know about the different parts of the test. And so there would be matching and I'd say, yeah, that's okay because matching means all the answers are on the test. And fill in the blank, if you have a word bank, it's, it's easy because the answers are also on the test. Short answer and long answer were never my strong suit because I was a slow writer, but that's okay. But the most daunting section, believe it or not, this will be a surprise to you, was the true and false section on a test. I don't know if maybe some of you are thinking, what, that's crazy, because if you don't know the answers, you can just guess, and mathematically, you should get half of them right. But for me, the true and false section was always most scary because of the absolute tornado that my mind would go through, trying to decide if the answer was tricking me, if the statement had one word that was a little wrong. And so if you answer that statement, and you say that, oh, yeah, that statement is true, and it's actually false, don't you feel like, oh, it's, I'm a sheep. Like, I'll just believe anything that anyone ever says. And if you answer a statement that's actually uh, that you say is false, but it's actually true, then it's like, oh, critic, skeptic, you know, unsavable, never trust anybody. So it's difficult, right? I mean, even in that beginning stage of our life, we learn that sorting the truth from the falsehoods are different. And in school, the stakes are relatively low, right? I mean, school is important, don't get me wrong, but the stakes are low. But in other areas of our life, sorting out what is true and what is false is so important. I mean, think about our faith in God, right? We strive for the best understanding of who God is so we can relate to Him appropriately so that we can fulfill our purpose in life and experience the fullest life that we possibly can. But how do we protect what we know to be true? How do we keep it apart from what might be false. It's the question that we face today. And before we continue this conversation today, I, I'll go on a bit of a side tangent, so bear with me if, if you can. We need to talk about what truth, you know, actually means in our society today. I mean, some of us might have different perceptions of what that is, and if you're, you know, if you have been to school many years ago, you might be thinking, what are you talking about? But um, today, we, we have to acknowledge that our world has gone through so many ideological, philosophical re revolutions that our collective societal understanding of truth has maybe changed. One recent shift is the emergence of postmodern thought, you know, relativism, that the idea that you might have a truth that is different from what is true to me. And there's, uh, there's more, more to share here today. I wish we could talk about it all morning, but we can't. But before I proceed with my current discussion, with our current discussion about truth and falsehoods, I need you to know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you believe in the presence of absolute truth in this world. Amen. Amen. Yeah. If you've identified with the message of Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God, sent to earth, born into our humanity, died for your sin, was raised to life, and has the power to do the same for you, that's the absolute truth that we believe in. Jesus even said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. That is a compelling message, and if you've identified it as truth and not fantasy, that's the absolute truth that you believe in. It's a significant truth. It actually, it's not just like a homework test question. It affects every part of your life if you have adopted that as what you believe to be true. It's something that you orient your morals and your values around, and so it's significant. It's important that we know that what we believe to be true is actually true, and that we can protect it 
from being uh, distorted by falsehoods. So this is actually where we answer this question. We turn to the letter of 1 John for guidance in chapter 2. As I mentioned before, in the letter, we learn about a first century community of faith John is writing to. Um, they're like a community of faith like we are. They believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God. One main difference is that uh, the Jesus' death and resurrection part was more of like an in-my-lifetime um, experience for them, which would be so cool. Um, they had been taught the message of Jesus Christ by the apostles and witnesses who literally saw Christ, um, and this was the message that he taught them. We learn that they're riding out the effects of a divisive event in their history in which a faction of the community left because of major differences in their beliefs and practices. We don't have an exact account of what the, you know, the, the beliefs were other than the main conflict was regarding Jesus and his identity as Messiah. So the community is split. There's a group of them that say that Jesus is the Messiah. There's another very vocal group that is saying that he isn't and that the, the, the rest of the church should change what they believe. And so from these issues, there's some hatred and angst uh, among those who are involved, which isn't hard to believe because that's a, a pretty big deal. Um, and so the disruptive, disruptive group leaves the church. There's a group that remains, which is the audience of the letter. And so John is writing after this has all wrapped up. John is a, a caring leader in this part of the world, in the church community. He's, uh, he knows that there are broken hearts in the congregation, and he's very pastoral at heart. And so people who are sorting out the after, aftermath of the episode, they, they need some encouragement. And so John does something really unique, which we'll explore in a moment. Um, he does what a pastor does. He tells them what he knows to be true to encourage them. He takes Jesus' teaching and repackages it uh, as, as encouragement for the, the group that remains. So this is where we find ourselves this morning. We'll begin to read in chapter 2, verse 20, and I'll be reading from the, uh, the NLT version if you're following along. So we'll start in verse 20. He writes, For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. We'll continue on in a moment, but what great news is that? To know the answer is in the first verse of the passage, that if you believe in Christ, you not only know the truth, but you know, you have the ability to know the truth from the lies. Isn't that, isn't that great news this morning? Yeah. And, and so we'll continue on. He says, and, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. And so here's where John is referring to the disruptive group that's left the community. He labels them as antichrist, um, which is a loaded word, and we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as He taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Isn't that good? So the word for us this morning is an encouragement to the community back then, but it's an encouragement to us as well. The, the answer to our question is laid out here by author John 
Uh, and so I've broken it down into three sequential principles for us this morning. Principle number one is that knowing the Father through the Son is to know the truth. And I said it before, and, and I'll mention it here again, I think that this is the greatest encouragement in this whole discussion of truth and falsehoods. Believers in the true gospel of Jesus Christ know the difference between the truth and the lies. What is the truth that we know? It's that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the promised son of God sent to save the world. If you identify with that message of Jesus and believe it, then you know the truth, right? Again, that, that message that we know is, is clearly stated by Jesus, which is what John is referring to, clearly stated by Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Many of you know this verse. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And so anything that contradicts this truth, what we know to be true, is false. Why? Because it just doesn't fall in line with what we know to be true, right? That's logical. And the circumstance of John's writing in the letter of 1 John also reminds us of the flip side of this idea. If believers in Christ know the truth because they believe that Jesus is the Christ, then there are those who don't know this truth. There are some who will flat out refuse the truth. There are those who will want to lead us, believers in Christ, away from the truth. We need to be warned about these things, John says. And if, you know, maybe you've experienced it, opposition to the truth is not hard to find. For one, we know there is an enemy of God, a spiritual enemy, who is also an enemy of ours because he tries to trick, lead away, and snare humanity to keep them apart from God. The, the New Testament writers refer to the, the character, the devil, or evil forces all throughout the New Testament. And while not completely separate from these spiritual dark forces, we know that there are humans who will try and do the same. Jesus tells us in the gospel according to John, again, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And in hatred of the light, there are some who actually walk in darkness and aim to promote darkness because they fear the light. In the letter, John calls these people, I mentioned, antichrist, which means they're opposed to Christ. And earlier in chapter 2, verse 18, you can read it, um, for yourself, John makes a distinction between these antichrists and the coming character of the Antichrist, capital A, Antichrist. Um, and he warns us, he says that there will be this character, but many who will come and oppose Christ, which is something that we can literally observe from the history of John's writing until now, and there will continue to be. So we know that there are those who believe in Christ. They know the truth. We know that there are some forces and people who are aiming to deceive us and pull us away from the truth. So how can we be certain that when we know the truth, we won't be deceived by falsehood? How can we see it for what it is? This brings us to principle number two, and that's that the Spirit teaches everything we need to know. Again, straight from the letter of John, verse 27, you have received the Holy Spirit and He lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. 
for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what He teaches is true. It's not a lie. The Spirit is a gift from God to the believer, to you and to me. He is a helper for us. He's an advocate. But how does He teach what's true? Well, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, this time chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus told the disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you what he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I have said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaks by the authority of Jesus, who has been given all things by the Father. Jesus tells in this passage to the disciples, that the Spirit will speak on behalf of Him, that He will speak or bring back a word from what He has received from Christ. When the Spirit speaks to us, He's speaking directly from our Lord, Jesus Christ. And as a connection with Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, we know as the way, the truth, and the life, we're guaranteed that the Spirit will teach us what is true because He speaks a report from the Son of God. And so we want that. We want the Spirit to speak to us so that we know what's true. But how does that happen? Well, that brings us to principle number three, which is that our goal is to remain in Christ. What's the main thing that the Spirit teaches us? Well, it's to remain in relationship with Christ. John in chapter 2, verse 27 says, so just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. But what does that mean? I mean, uh, maybe some of you can relate that uh, in my local church when I was growing up, we had a fellowship hall, right, which is just where the food was. Um, fellowship is a word that we use. Sometimes we use the word abide or remain. It's, it's a description of a lifestyle that when we remain in Christ, we live and it shows the transformation in our lives because of the truth of the gospel message. When we remain in Christ, it means that we're not motivated by our love for just ourselves, our own selfish pride and ambition, but rather we're motivated by God and His love for us and others. Again, Jesus teaches a lot on this subject in the Gospel of John. In chapter 15, verse 10 and 12, He says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. This is my commandment to you that you love each other in the same way I have loved you. And a couple verses earlier in, in verse 5, he says, Yes, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we abide in Christ, we firmly place the trajectory of our lives towards the will of God and our true purpose. When we remain in Christ, this is the place where we can hear from the Spirit perhaps most clearly and therefore know the truth most confidently. And so, I know we have done a lot of reading in the past few minutes. And so, what we have is this series of concepts where we understand from kind of point A to point B about how this functionality of our faith works. And, and we have this list of concepts here. It starts, number one, when you allow yourself to be changed by the truth of the gospel. This is where it starts, where God has done something amazing for you, and you allow it to come inside of you and change you for who you are. When you actually do this, when this actually happens, there's evidence of it. It's not something that's unseen, but it's something that is observable. It's 
it's what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of John when we bear fruit. We can see it happening. We keep His commandments because we are actually primarily motivated to love each other. We bear the fruit, and when we do this, we're keeping Jesus' commandment. That's what He asked us to do, was to love one another as He loved us. And when we're keeping His commandments, it's evidence that we are remaining in Christ. We're remaining in who Jesus is, and that is just an evidence that the Spirit of God lives within us, that we have fellowship with God, promised for eternity, guided into truth by the Spirit. And so there it is. There's this flow of steps, and it's not a level, a series of levels or accomplishments, but what is in store if we truly allow the gospel news of Jesus Christ to come and change us. And so here we are at this conclusion of this systematic understanding of the answer. How do we sort out the truth from the lies? And we can sit back and you know, this is one of the reasons we sing songs on Sunday morning, just to sit back and be so in awe of what God has done for you and for me, that He cares so much for each of us that He would send His Son to our world to save us, send His Spirit here to guide us, and offer eternal life in relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And now I know that this message today has primarily been addressed, addressed to those of you who have made that decision to follow Christ with your lives. If that's you, maybe you've been following God for many years. Hopefully, this message has been encouraging to you. If I could speak on behalf of our author, Pastor John, it would be that he would hope that you feel encouraged by his words this morning. In fact, the next verse from our passage that we didn't read in, in chapter 2, verse 28, John writes, "'And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ,' so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. And that's what John is writing for, really, so that you can be full of courage, confidently continuing to know the truth of Jesus Christ from what is false. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself earlier on the journey of following God. Perhaps you're still sorting it out yourself, taking the pieces and looking at them, trying to put them together. I hope for you today that when you hear that there is maybe opposition out there that might be waiting for you, I hope you don't feel discouraged. I would encourage you in the same way to be confident and courageous, knowing that God the Father has made a way through Christ and the work of the Spirit for you to be in constant relationship with Him. Although there's opposition now, Pastor John, author John, wants you to know that the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. It's the true light of Christ that allows us to see clearly when we remain in Him. So continually allow yourself to be changed uh, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you'll see the rest of the details occur in your life. And finally, today, if you're here and the concepts discussed have seemed really weird or difficult or hard to get on board with, I hope for you that an interest has been piqued in in about the God that would make this plan for you, about the God that loves you so much and He wants you to see the world the way that He sees it, which is through the lens of His love for you and the life you're capable of living through Him. Knowing the truth is so important, and sorting out the lies is just as critical. 
We know some will start to believe and then fall away from what is true. Some will hear the truth and reject it. Others still will hear the truth and try to distort it for evil purposes. But God in his abounding grace to us, which is the world that he loved, that's the us, has made a way not only for our salvation, but also for a way for us to be certain about the truth. He has given us his spirit to guide us into all truth. So we come to this conclusion, again, with a good understanding of how to know the truth, but an unfinished understanding of what to do next. And this is where we'll pick up next week with Pastor Jaquela, when she has um, to teach us about what John has to say, about saying versus doing. So come back next week to continue the conversation. However, as we finish out the service this morning, let us all go through Uh, our week this week, go about our different ways, but continuing to desire to know the truth from the lies about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us discern with the help of the Spirit to persevere when faced with opposition, and above all else, to love others in the truth of Jesus Christ. So as the band prepares to lead us in another song, uh, let's pray together, and then Pastor Bobby will dismiss us for this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today, first and foremost, for who you are. It's simply because of who you are that we can rejoice today. It's because of your grace towards us that we can celebrate today. Thank you for your light in this world, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your gift of salvation and the relationship in eternity with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your guidance into the truth. We love you, God, for who you are. Pray that you would help us love others in the same way that you love us. Help us to stand firm in the truth of who you are and also to shine your light through to the darkness of this world, God. God, we pray for our world today. We pray that you would redeem it quickly, Father that you would come quickly and reign over your redeemed creation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.